The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello and welcome into the Sportscaster and her son, where sports bridges the gap between generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. And I'm Jason, her son, 17 years old, and I write for Busting Brackets with Fansided. Now, this isn't your typical episode of the podcast because we've been put on kind of like a lockdown with COVID-19. We are taping this at the end of March, and since the pandemic hit our state of Illinois, we have been on a, what do they call it, Jason, a shelter for home? or Shelter in place. Shelter in place. When did this start? How long ago? Is this day? Um, this is a seventh day. Okay, day seven. So we, we are seven days into a shelter in place, which means you can only go out for the necessities, um, you know, gas, groceries, doctor's appointments. Um, I had foot surgery, so I've been able to go to my follow-up appointments and um, maybe go to the drive-through, get some food, things like that. So it's been very difficult to say the least. Uh, the sports world has just shut down. And Jason, for you, when you found out how did you find out slowly as the sports world started shutting down? Was it the NCAA tournament? It, it, it was really weird. It was first when the NBA kind of shut down. Um, that same day was when the NCAA announced that the tournament would be played without fans, and everybody was just like, okay, at least we still have a tournament. But um, people were kind of bitter about it because nothing had been actually canceled. So everybody was still playing. You know, The NBA had scheduled to meet about – um, potentially playing with no fans, but every, everything was still kind of normal. And then uh, Rudy Gobert, the Utah Jazz, tested positive, and everything followed really quick after. Uh, NBA can- canceled immediately. NHL canceled a couple hours later. Um, and then like simultaneously, all the conferences for college basketball, because conference tournaments were going on, started announcing that they'd be playing without fans. Um, and it was really weird because that Wednesday night, 
we were still watching games with fans. Um, it, it was it was almost totally normal. And then in the middle of these games, press releases would come out saying that starting the next day there'd be no fans. So um, it was kind of surreal waking up on Thursday morning knowing that there'd be college basketball. Um, I was really excited for the Texas-Texas Tech game. Um, and then right up until uh, the, fir- the tip-off of that game was supposed to be 11. All the first tip-offs of the day were 11 o'clock. And at about 10.50... We have a responsibility to make sure that we're always taking care of the health and wellness and the safety of our student athletes. So the decision was made uh, this morning um, uh, to cancel the remainder of the men's basketball tournament. Every single conference simultaneously canceled their tournament. And at that point, I kind of knew that sports were done for a while. Remember when they showed Mark Cuban, the Mavericks owner, on the sidelines during their game? He had just done an interview um, before the game, I want to say, where he thought, no, I think the NBA season will go on. And then they showed him in the middle of the game looking at his phone and his reaction, just his eyes get real big. And he looks at the guy next to him. He's like, oh, my gosh. That's when he found out that the NBA was going on hiatus. Yeah, and then um, it, it, the weirdest thing I think for me was the Big East tournament went on, um, and I remember sitting in science lab and just I went to the bathroom because I wanted to watch the game. Like I, I didn't know when the next time I'd be watching sports is, and to this day, it's the last sporting event I've watched. Um, it was Creighton St. John's. It was it was really surreal because like you knew you knew the game was going to get called at halftime. Um, so just kind of like knowing that that was going to be like the last game of the year. Um, and then they canceled, they canceled that, um, on my way home from school, I found out the tournament was canceled and I think for a couple hours it was pretty hard, but then like, I kind of realized that everything was going to be canceled and that life was going to change and, and it kind of puts things in a, into perspective because it sucks that there are no sports, but, um, at the end of the day, a lot of big things that are bigger than sports have been impacted. So but let's go back though to the NCAA tournament because, this is what you live for every year. You you love the tournament. When we look now and take away the championship and lifting the trophy and saying that you're champs, what it feels like for these athletes who played their last games without planning on playing their last games. It's really hard to wrap your brain around that. So many of these guys and girls are not having the tournaments that would cap off their college careers. Yeah, no, it's bizarre. It's surreal, but it's almost like the new normal because everything's been canceled. Everybody's lives have been compromised. Everyone's been inconvenienced. So it, It's kind of put in the back burner. But for those few days, it was really, really weird just trying to wrap my head around the fact that there wouldn't be a tournament. Um, And I think now it's, like, really set in because, like, today would be the Elite Eight. Um, And, you know, there's still no basketball. There's no Selection Sunday. There are no First Four, no Round of 64. Um, It's just weird. And I think that if there's a good thing that's going to come out of this, it's going to be that everything's going to feel so much sweeter next year. 
the tournament's going to be twice as fun. Uh, sports are going to be so much more appreciated. Everything in life's going to be more appreciated, but sports in particular for me. Um, and yeah, we have to deal with this now, but considering the state of the world and our country in particular, it, it's not as big of a deal to me, at least as it was two weeks ago. You're right. Sports is our escape from everything else. And, and it will truly be the escape that everyone looks to. What did the college basketball teams who were all, you know, picked to, to make a run in the tournament, like Kansas, um, was it Dayton? Um, what are, what were the reactions of some of those teams and coaches? Well, for the teams like Kansas and for the teams like Kansas and Duke, Duke and Kansas were the two schools to pull out of the tournament. And then I think that really pressured the NCAA into canceling it all together. Um, but for the schools like San Diego State, Dayton, uh, I think Florida State, schools that aren't typically up there, um, I think it definitely hurts a lot more because Dayton, they're going to lose their top three players. Uh, San Diego State, they're going to return most of their team, but them repeating that run is incredibly unlikely. So I think that it really hurts in particular for the small schools that were going to make a run and then for the teams that were built around um, senior leadership like Seton Hall and Michigan State, um, schools like that. But everybody's affected by it. Every single team is affected by it one way or another. Every player is affected by it, especially the NBA. There are 480 players who have been in the transfer portal in the past two weeks. So uh, it's kind of changed really everything. Wow. Do you expect the NBA to somehow, some way continue at some point this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's not necessarily um, because I want to finish the season. I think that Adam Silver mentioned on ESPN earlier this week that um, we need to find a way to jumpstart the economy. And as long as you can find a way that's safe, I think that the NBA is going to be um, the leader when it comes to getting back on the court. Um, but with that being said, a lot needs to happen before any sports resume. Uh, South Korea is already back into playing sports. Uh, certain smaller leagues around the world are. Um, but I think that um, I know for a fact that the Major League Baseball is following whatever the CDC guidelines are. And um, they won't start until there are no domestic travel restrictions and there are no bans on large gatherings. So um, it's going to be at least a month before we see any sort of movement. You know, and the NBA, because they are a wealthier league, they can handle more of this type of work stoppage. Um what a lot of people aren't talking about is the National Hockey League. For them to stop, they are not as strong as the NBA or the NFL. And for the National Hockey League to take this type of a, a break can be really detrimental to them. Well, everybody has to take a break, and every single league is going to uh, feel the financial effects. Every business is feeling the financial effects. The NBA started to cut the salaries of high-ranking executives. Um, Major League Baseball has cut their draft. Um, the, the draft is only going to be five rounds this year um, because of the bonus pool money. Uh, the international signing period was pushed back six months. So everybody's losing revenue, not just in sports. So um, certain leagues like the MLS and the NHL that are smaller and that rely more on ticket sales and TV shares are definitely going to feel the effects more. But everybody's in the same boat in terms of feeling the effects, um, whether it be TV viewership, uh, mer- uh, ticket sales, um, and then obviously uh on court or on ice or on field success. Well, what about the colleges, the NCAA tournament being canceled? Not, it's not so much the big schools like a Kansas or a Duke. The money is going to come in no matter what, but it's those smaller schools that would have gotten a slice of the TV pie for making the tournament. That is what could is like, you look at a school like Loyola university in Chicago, a couple of years ago, that 
really helped them right. in putting money into their coffers. Yeah. For them not, for schools like that, who were going to make the tournament for the first time, uh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of their budget to get, uh, so, to, to lose. So I, I think that for college, college basketball in particular, I think the school that's this is going to hurt the most for is actually Kansas because um, Kansas sometime in the next six months, the NCAA ruling will come out um, on the allegations and the expectation right. is that they're going to have a one year postseason ban. So that would mean two years of lost NCAA tournament revenue, two years of lost bonuses for the coaching staff and for the school. Um, and then certainly a ma- massive, massive drop off um, recruiting wise. So um, for Kansas, not and they were, they were a pretty overwhelming favorite in the tournament. Um, in, in what was pretty level field, so I would say that they had a very good chance to win it all. Um, so they're, the fact that they're now going to miss out on likely two years of revenue, um, both the coaches and the school, I think that they are going to feel the biggest effects, um, not to mention some of the other smaller schools or the schools built around seniors or the teams making it for the first time. Baseball was kind of what we were all holding out hope that that was going to be our sanctuary, that baseball was going to still take place. Uh, they were the last to pull everyone off the fields, off the diamonds, and uh, cancel spring training games. They also are on hiatus. How do you think that this is going to affect whenever they do start, if it's an 80-game season? It won't be an 80-game season. They don't it do double headers. They season. do all double headers. Absolutely. Every – the. Tony Clark, who is the head of the Major League Baseball Players, players Association, yeah. came out saying that the players just want to play. They don't care about doubleheaders. They don't care about seven-inning games. They don't care about playing into late October. They just want to play. Um, I don't think that Major League Baseball can afford to play an 80-game season because if you look at how much sports is going to mean for this country, if you play doubleheaders, people are still going to come out. People are absolutely still going to watch sports, especially if we're still restricted at home. Fans or no fans, Major League Baseball's return, considering that there's a good chance that they'll be the first sport to go back into action, not necessarily playing games, but going back to spring training um i think that their return is going to be uh, very anticipated and fans or no fans doubleheaders no doubleheaders whenever the season starts or ends um major league baseball is very much committed to playing as many games as possible as soon as possible once it's safe speaking of baseball um did you see the story um about the fanatics um factory that makes major league baseball uniforms yeah and how they are now turning their factory into making emergency supplies for hospital workers, yep. um, gowns and face masks. Um, companies like that and so many of the sports owners um, are using, lending their arenas. Uh, the United Center is one of them, home of the Blackhawks and of the Bulls, uh, lending it for um, you know raising um, some of the relief efforts that are needed in their respective cities. It's something. It's unlike anything we've ever seen before. You really didn't hear anyone complaining or saying, "What are they doing? I can't believe that they, they, you know, they're not going to play." At first, you absolutely did. At, at right. first, it, you it, absolutely. Well, did. at the very beginning, because people were still making jokes about thinking that COVID nineteen, everybody was overreacting to it. But now to see how much everybody is helping and you see, you know, um, professional athletes on social media who are helping raise funds, um, it, it really makes you appreciate them. And, and, and res- I respect them more now. I respect right. so many of them because of what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that the world as a whole has kind of come together. Um, and, and the thing with athletes right now is that literally everybody's in the same boat, whether you're an adult, a kid 
an athlete, a non-athlete, you're working an office job or a maintenance job. Um, everybody's in the same boat. For the most part, everyone's staying home. Um, so uh, this is a time where it is athletes are a lot more relatable to us, the fans at home. Everybody's playing video games. Everybody's doing well live put, streams. Yep. Everyone's relying on music. Everybody's, you know, everybody's finding ways to occupy themselves. And I think that the athletes have been great throughout this process because it's so easy to get caught in a hole when you're inside all day and, and you think that there's really no purpose. But when you see that your favorite athletes and your favorite actors and these people that you look up to um, are in the same boat and in the same predicament, it makes it a lot more tolerable and it makes it a lot more easy to just kind of take a step back and realize that, um, you know, this is going to pass over, but for the time being, just like everybody else. And, and you know, since this is not your typical sports um, show, uh, sports podcast, um, we're not having your typical sports guest. Um, he's actually not a sports person at all. Because like Jason was just saying, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time together, a lot of time at home. You're calling your friends more often. You're checking in on your family more often. Maybe, you know, your neighbors from across the, the yard or across the window without, you know, keeping your social distance of course. So we got into a conversation within our family talking about what it has been like with COVID-19 coping and the things that we have had to give up with the social distancing and not being able to go out and things like that. And um, my dad, uh, we call him Grandpa Poppy, Ed Kaczynski, uh, is 85 years old. And in my conversation with him, one of one of the days when this all started, uh, we were talking and he said, oh yeah, that reminds me when I was eight years old during World War II and they were rationing toilet paper. And he went on to tell us a story about what it was like when he was a kid during World War II. And the conversation in our home got very interesting. So we decided to bring Grandpa Poppy onto the podcast and have him share with us some of his memories and stories of what it was like to be a kid during World War II and what we are all going through right now. And uh, they call them the greatest generation, and it's it's an opportunity for all of us to uh, take a step back into history. So uh, let's bring Grandpa Poppy onto the show. Hi, Dad. How are you? Oh, I am doing just great. You're you're on right now with uh, Jason and myself. Uh, it's a it's a Saturday, and we are one week into our shutdown. We are talking on the podcast about this. Uh, are you doing okay in Wisconsin? Uh, yes, we are. It's uh, raining pretty heavy now. What are some of the things, Dad, that you have not been able to do uh, since the COVID-19 um, kind of came down on us recently? Oh, well, uh, uh, the biggest thing probably is I wanted to get outside and pick up the leaves. The snow came too, uh, too quick. We couldn't get the leaves picked up. So you had to stay now inside. now we're a little bit afraid to go out. Yeah, I, that that that's understandable. Yeah. Are you doing okay with getting food and and doctor's appointments or anything like that? Yes, yes, we've been able to do all that. We just finished all of our doctor appointments before the uh, crisis came. Hey, Grandpa, um, what was your yeah. reaction when you found out that opening day would be pushed back? Uh, opening day of uh, baseball, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it started. Uh, <laughs> started me thinking of uh, years ago how I used to go. I remember, uh, I don't think I took your mother, but I took some of, the, uh, some of her siblings twice. I went out there. To, oh, no, I, we went out there on opening day with uh, your uncle's 
Terry and Kevin and Peggy's mother, and it snowed. <laughs> and uh, I believe the uh, the governor was uh, Thompson. Was he? Was that his name? He sat right in front of us, and somebody hit him in the head with a snowball. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I must tell you what the uh, opening day of baseball reminds uh, reminds me of. When I was a little shaver, we'd uh, all from about nine years of age on up back then, times were different. We could go, uh, our parents would let us go to one ball game a week. And where we lived, we, were, uh, we had two bus services that would take you, cut a long story short, would take you to Wrigley Field. Okay, one was uh, 16 cents round trip, and the other one was a, a dime round trip. Well, I always took the uh, 10 cent bus. We had to walk a couple extra blocks, and all my buddies would look at me and say, Eddie, why are you taking the uh, walking that far to get the uh, 10 cent bus? You can go uh, six cents more, and the bus stops in front of your house. Well, after the game, when I got off of the uh, 10 cent bus, there was a candy store. I bought a paper strip. They used to have candies that would be stuck on a piece of paper. And you could peel them off and eat. I got a strip of paper candy, and I got a candy bar for the six cents I saved by walking a couple extra blocks. So that always reminds me of uh, opening day. So who who would your favorite season. who would your favorite player have been back then with the Cubs? So you're talking like 1944, 1945, something yes, like that. Yes, yes. And yes. you wait, you didn't go oh, by yourself. Uh, you didn't yes. go by yourself to the games, did you? Sometimes, sometimes at, I did. Yes. At Ten years old, you could yeah. go to Wrigley Field by yourself. Yes. Wow. There was I, no problem back then. Okay. I so remember I. If you ask your uh, older siblings, I think they'll they'll tell you they remember. Yes, back them days, you always had to be at least nine, ten years old before you could go by yourself anywhere. Who was your favorite Cubs player back then? Oh, I guess I'd have to say, uh, oh, Andy Pascal, Bob uh, Rush. Bob Rush didn't live too far from us. He was a pitcher, so I went over to his house one day back in the. Uh, Oh, this had to be the uh, late 40s, mid, mid to late 40s. And I asked him for a baseball, and he introduced himself, asked me my name. And he says, well, you come back tomorrow, and I'll have one for you. So I came back the next day after, the, you know, the Cubs had a game that day. Here he had an autographed ball to Eddie, and I still had the ball. He had all the names of the club. The Cubs signed it. Wow. That's pretty wow. awesome. And then back then, I went to a barber shop, and the uh, barber told me, he says, oh, he says, guess what? He says, uh, Andy Pasco lives, he says, around the corner. He says, go over. He'll give you his autograph. So I did the same thing. I went over there. I didn't ask him for a ball because he was a little further from the house. So I asked him for his autograph, and sure enough, he gave me his autograph. And he was very nice about it. I understand he was one of the uh, last players from back in the uh, 40s to pass away. You know, Dad. Um, Not too long ago, about a year ago. 
Dur- during World War II, um, because so many men were called to duty, uh, that's when, you know, Americans were, were looking for uh, sports. You know, it's not unlike right now. We don't have any sports going on and it's driving everyone crazy. But back then, that's when the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League started. I believe they started playing because so many of the men uh, were away at war. What did, what did you do during... You were a kid. You were eight years old. You were born in 1935. What did you do for sports when the war was going on? Well, well, I do remember the uh, girls' uh, professional uh, softball league. They called it. Mm-hmm. They had their hard softballs. They don't. You don't see much of that in Illinois, but they're very. That type of ball is very big up up here in Wisconsin. Uh, we'd go to watch the uh, Rockettes, the Rockolas. Yes, there was a cross from uh, Portage Park on Central Avenue. And uh, occasionally I would walk there myself. And then the other team was on uh, Harlem Avenue, way out south. I don't know, Cermak or Roosevelt Road near there. There was a stadium, and they were called the uh, Bloomer Girls. I do remember when the Rockettes started out there very vaguely because I uh, have to be the late 30s or 1940, the uh, earliest, they, they played on uh, Armitage down uh, east where they used to make the uh, Rockola jukeboxes. That's how they got the name uh, Rockettes. Hmm. What do you remember about after the war was over and life started to return back to normal, the reception that sports got? So when sports had returned and all the big athletes that were overseas fighting the war were back, what do you remember about how that was received by um, sports fans and, and by the public? Oh, no, I don't know how to explain that. Everybody was uh, just uh, happy. And I think there was probably more going out to the games, the uh, I remember uh, my dad always took me to one White Sox night game a year, at least one. He says, we got to hit all the sports. But the night game, the people were always calling the players, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, because they had what they called uh, blue laws. They couldn't play uh, night baseball after midnight because then they were afraid that the uh, men wouldn't be able to get up and go work in the uh, defense plants. So I, I still remember that. And a couple of times, I believe, over the years, well, it was only a span of like uh, 42 to 44, that the, uh, they had to call the game because the, it was midnight and they, they weren't in the ninth inning yet. So that's something I remember. Dad, during during the war, when there there was no sports and um, you know not everybody was working, Give me an idea of what it was like. Um, isn't that when they started doing like scrap metal collections and were you rationed on, you know, like now everyone's buying up all the toilet paper and, you know, what was it like during oh, the yes. war? Was it, was there, was there rationing? Oh yes. Yes. Let me, uh, uh, let me tell you the good part before I get into all that. If I may, I remember, uh, uh, my dad was working in a defense plant, and they were uh, oh, about two miles from Stuart Warner. Everybody heard of Stuart Warner. They made gauges. Well, Uncle Sam, our government asked Stuart, asked uh, where my dad worked, if that company would start making gauges 
because Stuart Warner was at capacity. So the owner said, oh, sure, we'll do that. So my dad used to put them in the, uh, you had to touch them in a sub-zero uh, freezer for so many hours to see if they worked. Well, when uh, he'd have them in the freezer when it was time to leave, and then he'd come home, eat his supper, and then get back on the uh, streetcar and go back down there. What a part I remember on Friday and Saturday nights, he would take me along, and I would watch him taking all these uh, gauges for the airplanes out of the uh, cold freeze, out of the uh, freezers. And then uh, afterwards, on the way home, we would stop at this, uh, oh, there was a place on Irving Park Road. I call it a mom dad uh, restaurant grill. It was open like all night. So here it was late in the evening, and we'd stop, and uh, we'd have a, a snack. Well, then we'd have to walk a block to get onto the bus to come home. Well, every time, every Friday and Saturday when we got on the bus, the uh, bus driver would uh, look at the, you had what you call transfers. Not like nowadays you pay every time you get on. Well, back then you could pay like uh, once, and every time you got on a different bus, you'd show him the transfer. Well, the transfers had uh, time limits on them. You were allowed so many minutes between routes. Well, we got on, and the driver would always look and say, I'm sorry, this transfer, the time is expired. Where are you coming from, or what are you doing? My dad would say, well, we just had a, we just had a, a snack. We're coming from the uh, defense plant working. And the driver always said, oh, okay, all right, get on. There's no charge. You're coming from a defense plant. And most of the uh, motormen on the streetcars and the conductors and the drivers on the buses back then, most of them were all, all they were off-duty policemen because all the young uh, motormen, conductors, bus drivers were called into, you know, they were drafted into the service. So they didn't know how to keep the public transportation running. So they went and uh, took all the... Uh, off-duty policemen and firemen and asked them, mainly policemen, and asked them if they uh, drive the bus on their off time, and that they did. But I have to tell you, you're talking about now the crisis uh, with the toilet paper. I have to laugh when I tell people this. I remember 1943 with the war effort, you could not get toilet paper anywhere. So when you would go to the grocery store, and you'd be checking out like you do now. The uh, clerk would ask you. You'd reach, or he or she would reach under the counter, come out with one roll of toilet paper, and say, "Do you want one roll?" And they would limit you to one roll. So sometimes we'd uh, buy a roll and never then do all the grocery shopping, so we could go back the next day to do more grocery shopping to get another roll of toilet paper. Oh. Oh my gosh! Yeah. What did and you do? What would you do if you ran now. out? Well, back then you had Sears Roebuck and uh, Montgomery Ward catalogs. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you one better than that. You know, uh, Sunday night would be soap night. Yeah. You'd sit all around the radio listening to Fibber McGee and Molly, and you'd be, you'd have bars of ivory soap. And you would be shaving them with a knife for what? To make uh, to to make soap uh, flakes for laundry. Oh, to make laundry soap! 
Wow. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people don't remember that. Yeah. No no toothpaste. You just have to use salt. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. that would be terrible. But I do remember the rationing. You had, uh, matter of fact, I believe in the family safe deposit box, I have a, a book. Uh, some of them were ra- ra- uh, ra- rationing stamps, and others were tokens. They had red and blue tokens. I don't remember if they were for meat or if, like, a blue was a one-pound limit, and a, a red could have been a five-pound limit. But those things I, I do remember. What did you do? What was the what was the scrap metal? No, I had asked about the scrap metal because I, I just I remember seeing like ads and stuff from like old ads. What was scrap metal? They were did they was there like big collection areas that they asked you to bring so that they could melt it down and use it for the war efforts? Yeah, no, uh, well, what they did, my dad, your grandfather, he was scrap captain of our block. Back in, uh, I would say, 1943, the people that uh, weren't weren't drafted, uh, Grandpa, my dad, your grandpa, he was he was too old. They wouldn't take him because of his age. So anybody on the block that was an able-bodied man and not drafted, they would find a job for him. Like, uh, I don't know, security warden. They had people who would go around at night, make sure all your shades were pulled so no lights got out. And then my, we had an empty lot next to us, so Dad was scrap warden. He just had to keep the the, the scrap, so it wasn't all, you know on the streets. And some people would, uh, everybody wasn't careful. They open the car door and throw a box of scrap out. But when the pile got big, you would call, and they would come and scoop it into a dump truck, and then take it to be melted down. And I don't know what happened after that. Mm. The hardest thing for yeah, me, and I feel yeah, we had the scrap pile next to us the hardest thing for me and i think everybody else my age during this time is adjusting to like this new style of life where you can't really go out there's nothing really on tv what would you say was the hardest adjustment for you during the war oh well i don't know oh about the hardest adjustment see because i uh, i was still kind of young i could i could do without uh, a lot of the food i would say i was more more scared of uh, uh bombers Enemy bombers coming over. I was more scared of that than anything else. And, you know, that's interesting, Dad, because it's a fear. And there's a lot of young kids that are afraid of COVID-19 because it's something that they can't see. It's like this this enemy that, you know, is an unknown to them. Um, There's a lot of that kind of fear with little kids now, too. I believe it. Matter of fact, when I... The war first broke out even before the war. Yeah, I know. I can remember my dad would park a car in the garage and we'd be walking home. He didn't have a garage at the time. Actually, all the searchlights up in the sky. And I'd ask him, and he says, Well, he says, they're looking for uh, enemy bombers. Man, alive. And then I, I would just break out crying. I know I did that more than once. I used to say, Oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I'm too young. So yeah. that's why I say the uh, airplanes were probably uh, my biggest scare. I don't. We, we never did see any, but yeah. it was a precaution. Obviously, the war lasted a good period of time, but as all hard times uh, do, it did come to an end eventually. So what advice would you give 
um, to someone like me, a teenager, or really anybody who's struggling um, making sense of this time and getting through this time, because um, considering that you lived through a period that is somewhat comparable um, from the beginning to the end of it, how, what, what advice would you give? Well, I don't know. You, the only thing you just have to make up your mind that it's you have to keep thinking and you knowing that the end is going to come when you can go back to a normal life. So you just uh, you keep thinking. Well, this is good. Uh, pardon me. The good part is coming back, and uh, that's it. Yeah, you yeah, just have I to. I don't know how. Uh, oh, I did, and you have to find something to do. This is a story that would be interesting. I have a nightstand next to my bed, and I thought I would clean out the top drawer, having nothing to do and being stuck in the house here between the virus and uh, all the rain we've been getting up here lately. I found a medal that was given to me in 1943 for collecting scrap newspapers. Really? Yes, it's called a President Eisenhower Medal. It looks, and the ribbon, I think the ribbon part is gone, but the medal is, uh, is still there. It looks just like the medals you see policemen, firemen, and the military wearing. Wow. And here I was presented it in 1943 for my, I was only eight years old for the, uh, you know, what they were calling the war effort. That's uh, you know, Dad. A lot of people are the, uh, a, a lot of people are doing things like that. A lot of people are cleaning out and going through old photo albums, and I'm clearing through all my pictures. And it's it's hard when we don't have sports. It's hard when we don't have the baseball game on in the background to kind of keep us company. Um, but like you said, when it comes back, it's it's going to come back. You know, better than ever. People will appreciate it more. Um, What's one thing that you did during the war as a kid that became a habit that you still do today? Oh, oh boy. Oh, still do today. Oh, the recycling. Yeah, I was just, I was going to answer that for you. You don't throw anything out. You save everything. Um, And that must, I I used to always say that that must have been from when he was a kid and you didn't throw anything out because you may have needed to recycle it, right? That is correct. Last question for you, Dad, and and thank you for sharing us uh, so many stories with us. Um, it's it's different than wartime heroes, but so many athletes that did go and serve in the war back in World War Two, uh, many came back. Um, were they did did they play extra years? Um, even though they were in the war, did it end the careers of some guys because? Um, they were up in age when the when the war started, and they were too old to play ball when they came back. Do you remember if oh, it no, did I it don't. hurt anyone's careers when they were unable to play? No, I don't believe so. Who were the no, big Who were the I biggest recall. heroes that were uh, athletes that that uh, fought in the war? Oh boy, I can help. I'm trying to think. Oh, we had uh, who was it? Ted Williams, yeah, Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. Yeah, hey, and, uh, oh, I can't think of some of the others. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with with some of these guys um, not playing, and it adds a year to their life, but not a year to their, their, you know, 
their careers and their sports careers. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see once everybody gets back. But we could go on and on, Dad, and we really appreciate you uh, you taking the time to, to talk with us. Uh, stay safe in Wisconsin. Uh, wash your hands a lot. Please don't go out if you don't have to. Um, just be careful with you and Marge, okay? Will do. Okay. Will do. Love you, Dad. It was, uh, real nice talking to you. Yes, and uh, love you too. Thank you so much, Grandpa. You know, it is really interesting talking to uh, Grandpa about what it was like back in World War II in the 40s when he was a kid and he didn't have any sports and things like that. You know, there's so many similarities. People were divided on the war. People are divided now on, you know, how COVID-19 has been handled. Um, It's going to be very interesting, but I do... I like his perspective that when it's over, like just keep your eyes on the prize. It will be over and everything will get better. So Jason, with that in mind, how about some predictions? Okay. All my predictions are going to be based on the current time that we are in. Um, So I'm going to say that the order of return to regular season play is going to go. um, It's going to go major league baseball, NBA, then NHL. Um, I believe that um, number two, I'm going to say that the NCAA is going to grant all spring sport athletes an extra year of eligibility, but they are not going to do the same for winter sport athletes, considering that for basketball, both men's and women's, um, any tournament eligible team, those players had already played 30 plus games. So um, it's completely unrealistic. And then I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I read something yesterday that was pretty upsetting and pretty unrealistic. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet saying that he was, he would be completely stunned if college football played in the fall. Um, I'm going to say that that is absolutely going to happen. College mm. football is absolutely going to play. There are going to be fans in the seats. Um, regardless of the current standing of the country, I do believe that we acted quick enough. Um, all beliefs aside, uh, I think that, that by the time September rolls along, we're going to be back to normal. Oh, boy, I hope you're right. Hey, there isn't a lot I can say for my final thoughts that hasn't already been said. Um, please, folks, uh Listen to the healthcare professionals, listen to the scientists. They're the ones that know and are trying to get us back to normalcy. Um, There is no vaccination. There is no treatment at this time, no cure, but they are the ones on top of it. Uh, We need to listen to them and really consider each other, not just ourselves. We will be better for this. You know, reach out and help a neighbor, help a friend, call someone maybe that you haven't called in a while. Um, And don't forget to laugh. I think Jason, one of my favorite moments of this whole COVID-19 is all of the memes that are going around social media. I wake up in the morning and I actually laugh. I laugh hard. There's some really fun ones. Um, you know, uh, the, the one in my house is like Las Vegas drinks are flowing all times of the day. I'm losing money and I still have no idea what time it is. You know, when I read that, I started laughing. Um, my girlfriend sent over some memes about what we're all going to look like when COVID-19 is over. And that's with gray hair, mustaches and unibrows. Yes, I am talking about women. Um, It's okay to laugh. It does help. We will get through it. Um, I do know this, just like my 85-year-old father said, um, I wake up and I tool around the house. I'm looking for things to do just like my dad does. I feel like an old man at this point. Uh, I've organized family photos. I'm doing all my rainy day projects. 
And then I wait for lunchtime. I look at the clock. It's 11 o'clock. Is that too early to eat lunch? I don't know. Then I might take a nap. I wake up and then I wait till supper. Yeah, I am like my dad and I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful to be able to share with him. Jason, Grandpa Poppy joining us. It's nice to have someone who has lived through another time in history um, to kind of share it with us and say, it will get better and we will get through it all together. So how about our thanks? Uh, Our thanks to my dad, Ed Kaczynski. mm -hmm. And we also want to thank the people on the front lines of COVID-19, healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, paramedics, police and firemen, grocery store workers, delivery men and women, and those people in the news industry, TV, radio, newspapers for keeping us informed. I would also like to thank my teachers and school administrators. Um, It's been a very challenging time for everybody, but they've remained dedicated to being on top of the work, regardless of um, our determination to do the work um, and our administrators for um, keeping us, the senior class, in their hearts and minds. Um, Be very interesting and and hopefully not upsetting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks in terms of prom and our last days in graduation. But um, I do want to thank everybody involved in that decision making and involved in the process of somewhat remaining a sense of normal, remaining somewhat of a sense of normalcy at home uh, through schooling. Uh, amen on that, my son. Uh, uh, You teachers out there, thank you because I don't know how you do it. Our thanks to Adam Yaffe as well for his support and expertise. Artwork and logo is designed by Shay Kanander. You can subscribe to our podcast, The Sportscaster and Her Son, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen. A reminder, if you love the show, please leave us a review. All you have to do is go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions. You can find my stories on Fanside. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and sportscasterandherson.com. Thank you, and keep listening as we will try to break the boredom by maybe phoning a friend from time to time throughout COVID-19. In the meantime, be safe, everyone. So long. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.